In Norse mythology, Valhalla is the Hall of the Slain, an enormous gallery in heaven filled with valiant warriors and gods. Valhalla Memorial Park is a sprawling cemetery in Burbank, just outside of Los Angeles, best known as the resting place of some of the world's most famous aviators. But the real story of this Valhalla is strictly earthbound, a dirty tale of greed, corruption, and remarkable stupidity. It is a tale of highly flawed humans with no winged gods in sight. I'm Hadley Mears, and this is Underbelly LA. It must have seemed like such a sure bet. In March of 1923, a new company called the Osborne Fitzpatrick Finance Company was incorporated in Los Angeles. C.C. Fitzpatrick was to be the president of the corporation, and a young man named John R. Osborne would act as vice president and treasurer. The new company leased offices in the Pacific Mutual Building in downtown Los Angeles. Using funds raised from investors, they bought 65,000 flat acres amid the dairy farms and stockyards of rural Burbank. They paid $1,000 per acre. The property, though, could only be reached by a long, bad dirt road, and it was over an hour and a half away from any of the mortuaries in Los Angeles. This was an important fact since Fitzgerald and Osborne planned on building a graveyard that they had christened Valhalla Memorial Park on the site. But Fitzgerald, Osborne, and Osborne's wife, Laura, they were patently uninterested in facts. Over the next year, they employed hundreds of salesmen to sell their lots, which ranged greatly in size and price, with the promise of a lifelong investment or quick profits when the lots were resold at a higher rate. By targeting widows and people with no investment experience, their salesmen were so successful that the company was quickly able to buy an additional 52 acres for an adjacent mausoleum park. One man sold his restaurant to buy six cemetery sections, and many elderly people invested their life savings. They were convinced in part by Osborne and Fitzgerald's claims that they were experienced graveyard managers. Through circulars, a small yellow booklet, and bulletins issued to salespeople, the company conveyed one of their most persuasive arguments. The cemetery was an excellent investment, they claimed, due to L.A.'s rapid expansion and the fact that because the population of Los Angeles was composed largely of people coming here because of ill health and advanced age, the death rate was inordinately high. The men claimed that because of this, all available burial ground in Los Angeles would be exhausted in only eight years. 
They also claimed that due to this great shortage of burial space and the city's refusal to add any additional cemeteries within city limits, bodies were currently being buried one atop another in three-foot graves instead of the customary six. All this meant that investors could flip their plots in as little as 30 to 90 days for quick and immense profits as space became more scarce. One woman was promised a $4,000 return on a $650 investment. But Osborne and Fitzpatrick didn't stop there. They sold many plots multiple times, giving identical deeds to unsuspecting investors, most of whom paid in monthly installments. When suspicious salesmen questioned the facts they were instructed to spout, they were given the runaround or fired. You don't get this idea over to enough people, Osborne told a salesman. These sections are worth $5,000. Whether you believe this or not makes absolutely no difference. Make the prospects believe it. One suspicious salesman even went to local undertakers to inquire about the supposed shortage of space and they were told there wasn't one. Suspicious investors also began to visit the barren property in Burbank, which they had been promised was being greatly improved. There, they witnessed nothing but a few token workmen, wandering around like lost souls, apparently trying to accomplish nothing and succeeding very well. By early 1924, Hundreds of the estimated 4,000 section buyers in the cemetery began to organize. Since the promised flipping never materialized, many of the investors were going broke and falling behind on their monthly payments. Meetings of over 1,000 people were held in local halls, and a committee was formed. A letter charging fraud was sent to local real estate commissioner Edwin T. Kaiser, who opened an investigation into the park and went to inspect Valhalla himself. At a packed hearing called by the commissioner, Osborne admitted he had no previous experience in the management of graveyards and that his misleading lectures to salesmen were meant to be inspirational only. A subsequent hearing descended into violence when a former sales manager at the company punched an attorney who claimed that the sales manager had trimmed an elderly lady out of her life savings. I've never trimmed anybody in my life, he shouted. Finding gross fraud, including the fact that there was room in Los Angeles and nearby cemeteries for over one million burials, Kaiser recommended the case to the district attorney. Individual investors also began to sue the company. In June of 1924, the federal government opened an investigation into the goings-on at Valhalla, where Fitzpatrick and Osborne were believed to have netted between three and four million dollars. Amazingly, the conmen retained control over the cemetery, 
and that same month began construction of a large ornamental gateway. The 78-foot-tall portal was designed by a local architect, Kenneth MacDonald, in the Spanish Mission Revival style. The statues and decorative moldings were created by sculptor Federico A. Giorgi, who had created the massive Babylonian elephants and lions for the 1916 D.W. Griffith film Intolerance. The portal would end up costing over $140,000 to build. Finally, in December of 1924, the federal government charged Osborne, Fitzpatrick, and four others with mail fraud in connection with the promotion of the Valhalla project. By that time, though, barrels at Valhalla had already begun. In July, the trial of Osborne, Fitzpatrick, and two other associates began in the courtroom of federal judge McCormick. Countless witnesses for the prosecution testified, including three people who exhibited their deeds to the same plot of land. Then there were the investors, who had discovered that the land they had bought was actually in an artificial lake outside the cemetery walls or underneath the Mammoth New Gateway. Not surprisingly, Osborne and Fitzpatrick were found guilty of ten charges by an all-male jury. On August 15, 1925, the pair were reported to be visibly staggered when they were sentenced to ten years and ten days in the federal penitentiary. The duo immediately filed a series of appeals, which left them free on bail, and with much of their ill-gotten fortunes still intact. It is here that Fitzpatrick temporarily slips out of our story, seemingly keeping a low profile in the media, and the gullible Osborne family takes center stage. While awaiting the outcome of his appeals, John R. Osborne, now referred to in the papers as the millionaire promoter of Valhalla Memorial Park, hired a dapper automobile salesman named Jack Gordon as a valet and a traveling companion. In November of 1925, the pair was staying at the Maryland Hotel in Pasadena when Osborne went to the bathroom to shave. When he returned, he found that $103,000 in Liberty Bonds, $800 in cash, and his valet had all vanished. Osborne went into hiding, perhaps fearful of creditors, and phoned the police to report the robbery. It was soon revealed that the valet, Gordon, was not simply a man about town, but a most wanted man in several states. He was a Chicago gunman and professional crook, whose real name was Harold J. Whitaker. Whitaker, who had numerous aliases, including the Duke, was arrested in Cleveland in January of 1926. It was believed that with the help of his girlfriend, Catherine H. Donovan, he had converted the bonds into cash, and he used them to buy furs, cars, and other luxuries striking the fancy of asserted criminals. He was brought back to Los Angeles and put in the new county jail. <laughs> he escaped three months later. While Whitaker was on the lam, Osborne and Fitzpatrick's luck ran out. The Supreme Court declined to hear their case and their appeals were exhausted. In June 1927, 
a U.S. Marshal, escorted them to the notorious Leavenworth Federal Prison in Kansas to serve their 10-year and 10-day sentences. It was here that Osborne made the acquaintance of a former USC football star named George Rush Meadows, who was serving time for selling stolen Liberty bonds. With his son making new friends in Leavenworth, John E. Osborne, the father of John R., took over the management of the Valhalla Memorial Park. He took no salary and attempted to pay back investors whom his son had wronged. Meanwhile, the phony valet, Duke Whitaker, had escaped from Los Angeles clear across the country. He was finally recaptured in November of 1927 after robbing a dance studio in New York. When arrested, he said his name was George Martin and claimed to know nothing of the jailbreak in California. But local New York detectives were able to call his bluff, using a police circular that featured both his mugshot and his fingerprints. As Whitaker was going back to prison, the football star, George Meadows, who had been called Malicious Meadows during his college glory days, was getting out of Leavenworth. He headed home to California and was soon knocking on Osborne Sr.'s office door. According to Osborne Sr., Meadows initially tried to entice his friend's father into joining him in a Japanese colonization scheme in Mexico. When this didn't work, he broached the subject of getting Osborne Jr.'s sentence commuted or reduced. He claimed to have ties to local prominent attorneys and to officials in Washington, D.C. Osborne Sr., his wife, and his daughter-in-law, Laura, eventually paid Meadows over $23,000. They believed this was being paid to attorneys and to officials to obtain a pardon or parole. So confident was Meadows in the Osborne family's stupidity, he even claimed to have met with President Coolidge himself in Washington to discuss the matter. He said President Coolidge was touched by his efforts and promised to reduce the sentence from 10 to 2 years, Osborne Sr. later recalled. But Meadows' grift was uncovered on August 17, 1929, and he was convicted of 11 counts of grand theft for stealing from the Osborne family and sent back to prison. While Meadows was going back to prison, Osborne and Fitzpatrick were getting out, released from Leavenworth in 1930. Again, unbelievably, they returned to their leadership positions along with Osborne Sr. at Valhalla Memorial Park, which was now a fully functioning cemetery. During their time in jail, Burbank had ceased to be a rural backwater and was slowly becoming the center of West Coast aviation. An airport, originally called Angeles Mesa Drive Airport, now the Bob Hope Airport, had opened next to the cemetery in 1928, and folks in the aerospace industry moved into the area. Many local middle-class Angelinos chose to be buried in the cemetery. The Grand Mission Revival Gateway had become a popular spot for public concerts and live radio broadcasts. But despite its success, it seems that the cemetery stockholders were wary of Osborne and Fitzpatrick's resurgence. In 1931, a complaint was filed by four lot holders asking for the appointment of outside officials to take over Valhalla Memorial Park. According to stockholders, 
assets were being dissipated and there were not sufficient funds to guarantee perpetual care of the lots. In 1932, Osborne Jr. filed multiple suits against stockholders for slander. He said they had condemned him to hatred, contempt, and vilification in many forums. Laughably, Osborne Jr. claimed that he had enjoyed a good name and reputation and that he had a wide circle of business, financial, and social friends before the slanderous allegations. After this, the story gets even murkier. In September of 1935, Osborne Sr. was called to an unspecified business meeting in downtown Los Angeles. Instead of going to the meeting, he killed himself in his garage with a bullet to the heart. He was buried at Valhalla. Eventually, the Osborne Fitzpatrick Finance Company was forced by the state to sell Valhalla, and Fitzpatrick officially disappears from our view. But John R. Osborne seems to have found a new profession, one of a bookmaker for the largest bookie joint west of Chicago. In 1941, he turned state's witness. Under promise of immunity, He told a grand jury about a gambling establishment that corrupt policemen had allowed to operate for more than a year near Santa Monica Boulevard and La Brea Avenue. Shifty to the end, he refused to admit to the grand jury that he had been promised immunity, much to the annoyance of the DA. In 1950, the famed Pierce Brothers, the funeral home and cemetery empire of the Southland, bought Valhalla Memorial Park. A new entrance off a more convenient thoroughfare, a new administrative building, mortuary chapel, and three new mausoleums were built as part of a plan for extensive improvements of the grounds. The construction of a new entrance meant that McDonald's massive Spanish Revival portal, the jewel in Valhalla's crown, would no longer serve any purpose. But then a plan was hatched. Aircraft manufacturing giant Lockheed Corporation, now Lockheed Martin, had come to Burbank in the 1930s and bought the airport, changing its name to Lockheed Air Terminal. Aviation innovation surrounded Valhalla, so it was only natural that the cemetery should get in on the town's main business. Spearheaded by aviation historian James Gillette, the 1924 gateway was closed to traffic, and it was repurposed as the Portal of the Folded Wings, a shrine to aviation. On December 17, 1953, the new shrine was dedicated on the 50th anniversary of powered flight. A host of dignitaries attended, including many aviation pioneers like Charles Taylor, who built the original motor for the Wright brothers' plane, and Mathilde Masson, the second licensed female pilot in the United States. They looked on, as the widow of Walter R. Brookins, the first civilian pilot instructor, placed a wreath on a plaque, marking the spot where his ashes had recently been interred. The Portal of the Folded Wings became, and remains, 
the site of frequent ceremonies and services honoring aviation pioneers, including Taylor and Moissant, who would both be interred there. On July 18, 1969, at an event so ironic it's almost unbelievable, a small twin piper Navajo, owned by United Clearing Incorporated, that had just taken off from the Burbank airport, tragically crashed into the dome of the portal of the folded wings. The pilot and one passenger were killed. Another survived. The crash was blamed on pilot error, and the dome was extensively damaged. But it was soon repaired to the tune of $70,000. The rest of Valhalla continued to be filled with the earthbound citizens of Los Angeles and surrounding cities. Some non-aviation notables buried there include comedian Oliver Hardy, silent star Mae Murray, the wrestler Gorgeous George, and the actress Gail Russell. In recent years, the Latinx and Armenian population has greatly increased at Valhalla. In 1991, the cemetery was bought by the mortuary giant Service Corps International, although it still retains the Pierce Brothers' name. Not surprisingly, there is no mention of Valhalla's scandalous beginnings to be found on the cemetery's official website. The company-sanctioned story of Valhalla is now the tale of the Portal of the Folded Wings. Perhaps it is for the best. In spite of all their duplicity, Osborne and Fitzpatrick succeeded in building a cemetery more associated with heroes and heroines than with shady plots and dirty deeds. Sometimes the sun shines on fools and scoundrels, especially in the fertile soil of Underbelly, L.A. Thanks for listening to this season of Underbelly, L.A. This episode was based on an article I wrote that originally appeared on KCET.com. Check it out. I'm Hadley Mears, and you can follow me on Twitter at H-A-D-L-E-Y-M-E-A-R-E-S. You can follow Underbelly LA at Underbelly LA. We're also on Facebook. Just search Underbelly LA. Listen to all future episodes of this podcast by going to underbellyla.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you'd normally find a podcast. Every episode of this show is researched, written, and read by me, Adley Mears. The show is produced by Drew Mackey and edited by Mika Grimm. Underbelly LA is a Table Cakes podcast. Table Cakes is a Los Angeles-based, woman-owned podcast company. And if you want to learn about other shows on this network, go to tablecakes.com. If you want to support Underbelly LA, check out our digital tip jar at patreon.com slash underbellyla. Join us next season as we unveil more tales of murder and mayhem in Los Angeles, California, USA. A Table Cakes production. 